Live from Perth, Australia, and broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show with your host, Oren McCory. The O Show is a no-nonsense podcast bringing you the best advice on training, mindset, and nutrition to supercharge your efforts in the gym, the kitchen, and most importantly, in your head. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, guys, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to today's episode of The O Show with your host, Oren McCarry. I'm here with my good friend, Daniel England from Team Ecto. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, good yourself, man. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's good to have you on, mate, because we've been connected probably since just before, just after I moved over, because... I was initially lining up a job at Surge before I worked at Doherty's, right? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, your name kind of popped up on that, like, uh, the resume kind of list and stuff like that. And I was like, looking through all your qualifications and your experiences, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start following this guy. And next thing you know, we just like hit it off on like Instagram, just had like massive conversations. And then yeah, you yeah. got a job at Doherty's, which is sick. So it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, nah, it's killer, man. And um, I think over the two and a half years you've really came into your own as a coach as well, which has been great to see like the growth of the brand and the whole team acto and taking staff on board and everything else that's occurred since. So mate, congratulations to you on the, the success over the two years that, that, that I have known you around Perth. Yeah. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's um, definitely, definitely took some time and glad that, you know, we've got a really solid team behind us and, you know, just trying to provide the best quality like, content and results that we can get same as yourself, you know, yeah, yeah, massively made. And to be honest, I think I've interviewed most of the big hitters around Perth now in terms of the big teams that I see alongside Team OMC. And um, you're definitely up there with, like, in my opinion, the top trainers that if I was to refer out to somebody else or if somebody is inquiring with me and they say, oh, no, I went with Dan instead, I'm like, fucking perfect. Like, guys are gone, yeah. just fucking listen to what he says. And, and I think that's it, you know, it's like we're all in the industry to help people and, you know, it's not, there's no kind of ego, especially with like the, you know, like you say, the top, top guys, like we all know each other, we're all best mates and to have like, you know, I've had in situations myself where someone's went, oh, I'm going uh, war and I'm like, yeah, sweet, awesome, you're going to get exactly what you want. So very, very happy that you made that decision, not some kind of, terrible coach who doesn't know anything yeah. and just happy to take your money you know so yeah that's exactly great. man and, and that that's why the podcast is so good because i am bringing the information from all these different people over perth and everyone really just does support each other even though because like it's a big city mate we're not competition we're just yeah. like colleagues really right that's it it's like half of us just like catch up anyway at events and stuff like that and it's just yeah you know, just another day in, day in the business, you know, so I'm glad that we all get along and there's no itchiness or anything like that. So yeah, no, nah, it's a really good kind of scene here in Perth for sure. Yeah, no, it's awesome, man. It's awesome. Now, what I wanted to get you on, we literally were fireballing through some topics yesterday and we thought we'll do some Q&A, but also I wanted to touch on human performance because I feel like the sort of the little tweaks that you, you do to make that 1%, that's something that you're probably right up there with i track a little bit of data with clients but i don't track a whole lot just because some of them it might not be suitable to so if if the clients listen to this you will be getting an, an option to track more data over the next few weeks but the the core ones for me are going to be you know sleep digestion recovery um steps potentially blood pressure um yeah. if they're willing to go that far but then Outside of that, you're talking about obviously blood pressure, HRV, um, rest and heart rate, you know, loads of different metrics. So I think if we give everyone a little bit of an insight as to the different stuff you do to get your athletes to that extra 1% and why they're yeah. important, then that would be a really good good episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, um, I feel because, um, you know, everyone can kind of have different responses to similar training programs, stuff like that. It's, when you apply these metrics and understand what's the concept behind them and how to alter them or how to improve it, that's when we start seeing body composition and also performance come into a lot of the bigger scale of things. So this is something that even if it's just uh, something as simple as wake and heart rate and sleep, 
those two alone will give you so much indication to how someone's going to handle the training volume, how they're going to handle the nutrition and how they're just going to be all over. And you can start then kind of becoming like a fortune teller, so to speak, and go, okay, we're going to predict that we might need to deload at certain phases. We might need to alter the nutrition considerations or anything that might be affecting how they're actually going to go in the gym, you know, rather than just keep throwing someone into the ground all the time and go, I'll just keep doing more, more, more. It might be a time to go, okay, well, let's pack off a little bit and see how this goes. And next, you know, they dropped two kilos, they're a lot leaner, and they're now added 10 kilos to the bar. And it's like, awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's the art of coaching, in my opinion. Like, people don't pay me and you to get a training plan and like they're checking they, they pay for the actual coaching so it's like getting the data getting what they present to us with a check-in whether it's weekly fortnightly even monthly if if somebody like does fifo and doesn't want to check in um yeah. weekly but it's how we interpret the data and the changes that we make along the way and how we coach that person that's what they're paying for rather than the bells and whistles and every every extra little thing on top. Like it's not the training plan. It's not the diet plan. It is the process of this is where you're at now. This is what I think we need to change. And this is how it's going to impact you. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a more so I feel with a lot of my guys is the education on why we're doing them. So it's the reason why it's like, why, why would I want to track someone's sleep? Why do I want to track someone's blood pressure, their waking heart rate? Why do I want to track your digestion? these things will have a, such a massive impact and just be going, okay, here's a training program. Now just go kill yourself in the gym. You know, any person can make someone sport, you know, can make someone puke during a session, but it takes yeah. a coach to go, okay, this is now how we get you to where you want to be. And also for you to make it sustainable as well, which I think is the most important part that no one does really well. And if they do it really well, those are the top guys, you know, the, the heavy hitters in the industry. Yeah, yeah, nah, that made, that's killer. And like, it shows that we're on the same wavelength with a lot of our thoughts on things. So this should, this should go down pretty well with people, I think. <laughs> so let's get into an easy one that we can tackle before we get into the really nerdy stuff. So why would we look at digestion? Why would we ask a client to tell us about their poop, basically? <laughs> it's, always, it's always a hard-hitting question to go, okay, what's your, what's your poop looking like? You know, and like yeah. balance and stuff like that. But when you look at it, um, so this is a quote that I got from um, one of my mentors, which Luke Lehman, so muscle nerds, which um, you know very well as well, where he says, um, you, you are what you eat, but you also are what you digest, assimilate, and excrete. Right? So basically, if we're talking about the elementary uh, digestive system, you know, you have uh, your esophagus, and it basically goes all the way down to your rectum. So within that part, we have what's known as the small intestine. And that's where we absorb a lot of the macronutrients. So obviously protein, perhaps, and fats will go uh, and absorb through that. So if someone's having an issue such as like irritable bowel syndrome or irritable bowel disorders, then that might cause an issue in regards to how they uptake these nutrients. So I could be slamming someone with, say, 5,000 calories a day. But if their bowel movements are like they're pooping three or four times a day, that's not really a good indication that they're absorbing any of the food we're giving them. So that might mean that there's a food choice in there that might be affecting it. They might be having something like reflux. So obviously you good, which is gastroesophageal reflux disorder, which is like a heartburn. So that might mean that they're having a hard, hard time absorbing protein. So doing understanding kind of these sorts of things will allow me to make nutrition considerations and maybe drop their protein down a little bit, you know, uh, tell them to chew their food a little bit more effectively, try and be, environment where they're not stressed when they are eating a meal and even then if we're talking poop which is always the fun one um it might be what what's the the type you know normally we're looking for a, on a crystal store chart of a type of three to four you know if it's anything like a one to two where it's kind of like really like diarrhea very watery base they might be having some sort of issues with that or if it's on the other end of the spectrum which is like a five six which is you know constipation then we might be looking at, okay, they might be having a bit too much fiber in their diet. They might not be drinking enough water. So there's a ton of considerations with that alone. And this is gonna have a massive impact on how they absorb food and how we can then utilize it to improve performance. And also particularly in terms of body composition as well, you know, like if you're trying to get protein into the body, which is important for muscle protein synthesis, 
then you want to make sure that you're getting actually what you're ingesting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of regularity with pooping, like what, what is ideal? Cause I think people will be all over the place. What's normal yeah. for one person will be different to somebody else. But some people, like you say, I might poop three times a day versus some people might poop once every three or four days, right? So what was, what's yeah. considered regular so in our world? Normally, normally regular would be around 16 hours. So yeah. that's kind of the thing is, so normally most people kind of poop in the morning and they might poop maybe once more throughout the day. And what you're doing is you want to make sure, like you ask questions, go like, you know, what's the consistency of it? It should kind of sound really bad, but it should be like a, a thick brown kind of snake looking situation you know yeah it's yeah. like snakes on the plane you know it's just coming out of the toilet <laughs> but in that situation it's that's something that might be you know there and then you go okay well does it feel like you know you've kind of emptied it out you know have you emptied the tank you know or do you feel like you still have some going on in there because that might have another issue coming down the track you know okay why are we not kind of having a full excrement you know why is it taking a little bit more or more f frequent and that might be an issue with transit time so that's when we go, okay, your transit time's a little bit too fast. We might need to look at your diet and go, okay, are you having enough fiber intake? Are you, you know, what's the volume of your food? Like stuff like that may have a massive consideration in terms of the hours and transit time and also frequency of course. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important to say at this stage that we're not saying the clients take pictures of their poop and send it no, to us. No, I don't, Absolutely I don't want to see that. I don't know. <laughs> Like I have a bad enough time looking at my own. I don't want to see yeah. your, you know, you'll know when it's different. Like it will yeah. feel different. You're like, mm, okay, that wasn't too right. Maybe have a quick look in the toilet. Okay, it was a tight one. Okay, well that might be an issue. Then you just basically in a check-in form, I get my clients to go, okay, what type was it and what was the frequency? That was it. That's yeah. why I need to know. I'll ask more questions if I need to. I'm like, okay, well, what about this? What about this? So something as simple as like, okay, well, when it was when you did it, what was the foods that you consumed around the last twenty four hours? You know, something like that might give you an indication to a meal that they might be having that might be triggering them or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, and I think as well, like it's something you probably only need to do if you're quite unsure about what scale you're on. Just do it for a couple of days because like you say you will know the difference and if you normally have a really runny one and you suddenly have one that feels more like a solid snake like we're talking about now then it's um you're gonna know the difference and then you're looking like all oh, right okay that's maybe a three so i know what that feels like so what did i do differently yeah. as you said like fiber intake water intake what's been good that's allowed me to have what's considered a normal poo today yeah and that's it you know once you kind of have normal then i say just continue to chase that feeling whatever you're doing is working don't rock the boat you know if yeah. what you're doing is working don't try and change it don't try and add any crazy supplements or any crazy routines it's working most of the times it's just through simple lifestyle strategies yeah yeah and i think as well like a lot of there's a lot of things that can affect it too like um the inability to process your fats correctly um yeah. caffeine is a big one as well but yeah. that's all like specialist stuff for when you've actually started to track it and then you can refer to a coach and then the coach can sort of look at right what's your fiber intake what's your water intake um are you like you know depending on the consistency it might indicate to you that they're not processing processing their fats correctly or it might be that yeah. their coffee is hitting them really really fast and it's causing that reaction maybe they just need to put a little bit of fat into their coffee with some full cream milk to slow it down a little bit yeah well caffeine does um help activate an enzyme which is known as gastrin which does increase peristalsis of the intestines so that's why when most people consume coffee in the morning they have what's known as the caffeine poop so yeah. that's kind of well that's why a lot of people will have it and they go okay i've got to do my morning coffee poop in that situation but in terms of like the fat they have a malabsorption of fat they'll actually show in um the bowels anyway so that's the condition known as diarrhea which is where the gallbladder is not producing enough bile to help kind of emulsify the fat within itself. So taking something like uh, taurine, uh, tudka, ox bile salts, or uh, yeah. porcine bile, uh, bile salts will help with that emulsification. But I think that should be coming along in the questionnaires as well. So you should be asking, uh, do you have a gallbladder? You know, 
um, stuff like that. Because if you don't, then hey, I'm not going to put you on something like a ketogenic diet because what's the point? You can't emulsify it in the first place, which is going to create more problems and more difficulties down the track. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 killer, man. And it's there's good information here, but the the thing is as well that I want people to realize that this is stuff that you've learned a lot on you know a little bit yeah. more about me than it but it's stuff that we actually study so don't go and try to work this shit out yourself and just fire some tudke in for the sake of it because you heard dan no. just mention it it's work with a coach or work with a, a doctor to like learn this stuff and work out what's best yeah. for you if you feel that you're malabsorbing something like fat or no. you're getting mega caffeine poops all the time then you just need to limit your caffeine in the morning maybe you know yeah that's it you know like I spent eight years at university studying nutrition and exercise physiology. So for, yeah. for me, it sounds really easy. You just go, oh, I take this, 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 but it's the doses, it's when, it's how, you know, you don't like obviously that's when referring to as someone who knows how to do it and how to implement it correctly would be such a great idea. Alongside obviously medical professionals such as a doctor or a dietitian or an EP or even just a coach who's really, really educated and well-versed in how to do this correctly, you know, like, I don't want people taking like excessive doses and going, I can't poop anymore. And now it's like a type one, uh, type five, six, and you can't go anymore. And I'm like, well, sorry, please take consideration of that. Yeah, yeah, that's fair, man. That's fair. So I think that covers like digestion pretty well. I don't want to overwhelm people with the first you know, <laughs> 20 minutes being all about poop, but um, it's an important one because then that, that feeds into like performance, how you feel, how you're utilizing your food. So that's probably one of the biggest ones that we do need to look at. But what about sleep? Because sleep is also like, it's the key, right? In terms of yeah. how you feel when you wake up, your performance, your mood, your recovery, everything comes back to sleep. So why do we track sleep and how do we do that? So they did a study ages ago where they compared uh, two groups of people who were in a dieting process. So um, I love this study. I don't know who actually authored it, so I can find that out for you and notify you, but it's like one of the most well-common ones that you see a lot of people on kind of like the coaches in Instagram. I'm like, this is why you need to sleep a lot. So one group slept five and a half hours and another group slept eight and a half hours. You might know the study I'm talking about. And the five and a half hour group lost some fat mass, but they lost a lot more considerable lean mass in the process in comparison to the eight and a half hour group where they lost a lot more fat mass, but a small amount of lean mass, which is obviously evident when you are dieting, you will lose some lean tissue in the process, but it wasn't as much as the five and a half, which is really, really good because when we look at that, it allows us to recover a lot more better. It helps us obviously with our mood. It also will help with uh, regulation of cortisol and also um, kind of going into the next day. So if you have a poor night's sleep, it actually increases the half-life of cortisol into the next night which can be detrimental to obviously recovery, which is especially when the dieting periods, you want recovery to be the absolute key point to this. You don't want to keep burning the candle at both ends and going, it's okay, I'll keep grinding because that's what I've got to do. And it's like, no, you should, that adaptation is what you can recover from. So if your sleep is not going well, then we're going to have a really bad time with that. So with sleep in itself, we need to look at it from two ends. So we need to look at sleep quality and sleep quantity. Ideally, I prefer sleep quality over quantity to start off with. Because the last, uh, the last thing we want to see is when someone goes like, and you probably say this to your clients yourself, you go, how many hours do you sleep? And you know, it's like, oh, I sleep eight hours. And you're like, okay, cool. When you wake up in the morning, how many times do you have to hit snooze on the alarm clock? Or oh, about four or five times? Okay, so that's not really good quality sleep then if you need like that snooze, because let's face it, like a snooze button is like eight minutes right? between kind of setting off the next alarm. It takes about seven to 10 minutes to fall back to sleep. So you're only getting really probably one minute of decent sleep going into a sleep cycle. So yeah. I would rather have someone who's sleeping seven hours, but they're getting really good quality sleep and they can wake up pretty much at the drop of the hat to me means that we're in a really really good situation because that's what matters more is the quality because obviously um when we talk about a sleep cycle so sleep cycle is basically um a phase of the sleep so how we go from basically so there's four stages of sleep so we have stage one stage two and then we have like stage three and four which is kind of together and then we have REM sleep 
So when we look at that, REM sleep is where we get a lot of kind of the mental um, processing and stuff like that. So that's where we tend to dream a little bit more. And then stages three and four is when we're a lot more kind of restorative in that sense. That happens in the first kind of 40 minutes of, of sleep within itself. So if we look at that and we say a sleep cycle lasts anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes, six hours of sleep, if we have good quality sleep, that's four sleep cycles, which is on average, we want around four to five sleep cycles a night. So if we say anywhere from six to seven and a half hours of actual decent sleep, that's a really, really good indication. So that's where the kind of basically eight hours of sleep will be. It's kind of the standard for a quantity of sleep. Yeah. So when we kind of look at that with people is one thing that we can control and we can actually help improve our results and obviously training is making sure we're getting good kind of sleep routine happening, you know, getting good quality sleep because this is then going to help move on into the next day. And obviously if I'm about to do, say, I'm about to do a heavy, heavy leg session, I want to make sure that I'm pretty much as restored and as ready to go as I can so I can hit that with a high degree of intensity to help progress my goals a lot faster. Yeah, yeah, 100%, man. And I think with that whole alarm clock thing, the one of the previous guests I had on, my Peacock, his thing is about winning the first battle. And yeah. it's about your first battle of your day is whenever that alarm goes off, what do you do? Do you hit snooze or do you just fucking get up? And if you can, that's something you can train yourself to do. Um, like you said, by hitting snooze, you're not really getting that much extra sleep. Yeah. You're probably just putting yourself into a bigger hole because you're going to have a minute of sleep and then you're going to have to wake up again. And then it's like, you're not really, you're just, in my opinion, you're just fucking yourself even more with it. Oh God. Yeah. You know, like I, for me personally, like I'm very, very big on routine. Um, I don't know whether that's the obsessive impulsive in me or the type A personality, <laughs> but I always say to people, it's like, you want to go to bed pretty much at the same time with about a 30 minute window either side. So for me, I'm a bit of a nana these days. Like my, my partner will uh, give me shit for this. Um, I'm pretty much asleep on the couch, normally by about 8.30. Right? Yes. Uh, I'm like a nana now. So by about eight o'clock, my eyes start to get a little bit heavy and I start to yeah. and off. And then by about 8.30, I get myself up and I'll put myself in bed and she's still watching TV or reading a book or whatever she's doing. And I'm like, like. Yeah, yeah. So, but I'll be, I'll be up. In the next morning, by about 3 30, 4 o'clock in the morning, because that's when obviously I have to start getting ready to do work, do my check ins, my consultations, all that stuff. So I'm still getting about eight hours or seven and a half hours of sleep. And I do this pretty much every day. That is my routine day in, day out, yeah. because the body craves that circadian rhythm. And that's kind of the thing is when we look at that circadian rhythm, our bodies are biologically like have their own clocks, you know, like. Um, and you probably notice this, like you get hungry at certain times of day, you know, you feel most energetic at a certain time of day. And that's obviously where it's in the morning or in the afternoon. So it makes sense then that we should want to go to sleep and wake up around the same time every day. You know, that's, that's innately what we do as a, as a species, you know? So yeah. I don't, I don't get it when people are like, oh yeah, you know, like I go to bed at this time of one day and then I wake up at this time. And I'm like, okay, like weekends, I can understand that a little bit more because obviously if, you know, you're working doing nights or something like that, or a little bit uh, smaller of a sleep cycle, so to speak. We can kind of play a little bit of catch up on weekends, but we should try and get that routine happening. It's the first thing you do to improve sleep quality, you know? Yeah, yeah. And what's your opinion on, like you say, you nap on the sofa for a little bit before you then go up, brush your teeth and get yeah. into bed properly. What about naps during the day and falling asleep like that? beneficial or should you just when you feel yourself getting tired go straight up to bed so, or so if it's napping during the day um it's not actually a bad thing to do um ideally how i would do that then is say i um like eight say 8 a.m to uh, 8 p.m to 4 a.m so in kind of in between that kind of halfway point of sleep 12 hours from there that's when i would try and have a nap if i was to have a nap Anything more than that might throw off my kind of circadian clock a little bit, which may affect my sleep going into the actual night itself. Now, with the nap itself, you want it to be kind of around 30 to 60 minutes. You don't want anything too crazier than that because then it's going to start affecting you, kind of make you a little bit groggy, and then obviously that will then pair your sleep into the next night. So I think naps are a great thing to do if a person can't 
and do like a full kind of sleep routine, you know, and I, I know some clients who do that and I think it's a great thing and it does help their performance and body composition. But again, they do have the option to do that. You know, that's their jobs and they are allowed to do that. Whereas someone, if you know, you're working a nine to five, napping on the job is probably not going to be the best thing for you. Yeah. So, so then we need to nail that kind of nighttime uh, sleep routine. Yeah. Yeah. And then what about with times for bed? Like the old saying, which I don't know whether you agree, is that uh, one hour sleep before midnight is as good as two after. Do you agree with that? Or is it just a case of the eight hours and that time, that restorative sleep matters? Yeah. Um, I'd probably say uh, I'm, I don't know too much about that um, to actually state something about that right now. But I'd probably say, like, look, the main thing is making sure we get four to five sleep cycles every night is that's what's going to be ideal. Now, whether, you know, you sleep three sleep cycles and then you do one during the day, that's still four sleep cycles in, you know, that time period, you know, in a 24-hour time period, which is then going to still have its benefits in that. I mostly say to people, like, I just want that routine, in, you know, going to bed at a normal time, you know, like, in kind of the routine before bed should be pretty, pretty good as well. So, you know, like, before bed, you know, like, you know, electronics or use blue blockers or anything like that to kind of uh, reduce kind of that interaction with um, the retinal ganglial cells, which obviously um, tell your brain that, hey, you know, the sun's up. And then uh, kind of around that point, then, you know, wake up at the same time. So then what's your routine upon waking up? You know, like, like you said, with the guest you had before, you know, like, yes, smashing the first goal of the day, you know, wake up when the alarm comes on, you know? And yeah. then eventually you should be able to wake up before the alarm a little bit. Not like an hour or so before, but kind of like wake up like a few minutes beforehand and kind of beat the alarm. That would be when, okay, now your circadian rhythm is in check. Probably don't need your alarm clock anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that sometimes baffles people. And to me, to an extent, because I still use my alarm clock, a lot of the times I'm up in that sort of five to 30 minutes beforehand. And there's for me, there's no point going to sleep. Once I need to pee and check my phone, it's like, okay, I've only got half an hour. I may as well just get up. Um, but like the fact that some people are able to just wake at the same time every day, whether it's five or six, and they're fully refreshed, might seem strange to people, but like, how do people get up without an alarm clock? But that's just a case of where they've had such a killer night's sleep and their, their rhythm and everything else in terms of time to bed, time to wake is just so set that then they don't need the alarm clock. They don't need that exactly. to wake them and get them into that rhythm. Yeah, exactly. That's but when you kind of look at it, like, and this is kind of going like, you know, uh, Paleolithic kind of like ancestral times, we would wake up when the sun was coming up, we would go to sleep when the sun was coming down. If we're doing the exact same now, we're just kind of not doing with the alarm clock, you know, we can have a little clock back in, but we were able to have a really good kind of sleep routine. So why not be able to replicate that now? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, it's just because of today's society and like, you know, staying late watching movies you know like being on laptops working overtime you know or like night shifts and stuff like that and then potentially throw out this uh, rhythm so to speak so it's important to then have the routines nailed so then we don't have to rely on it as much yeah yeah absolutely man and i think we'll not get into it now but like night shifts and stuff like that is a massive topic of how you kind of need to optimize your environment and like it's yeah. listed as a carcinogen now, like night shifts. That's how bad yeah. it is. So they, we yeah, could literally yeah. deep dive on that. But I think it would take too long. So I might need to get you back yeah. for one on, on that. Yeah, I'm more than happy to come back on for that one, for sure. That would be a real crazy one. Get a few get a few, uh, few of us together and we can do like a sleep around table, you know, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Why not, mate? Yeah, that'd be killer. So that I think that covers sleep pretty well. Um there is books that I'll maybe put in the show bio of like different things on sleep if people want to dive into more detail. But yeah. one other thing that nearly every coach in the world should should be tracking if they don't, it's steps, right? Why do we track steps and what's, what's the purpose of this? So steps was kind of like coined ages ago as uh, basically a way to determine needs. So needs obviously stands for non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So uh, which is what would be classified as unstructured uh, exercise or structured routine. So NEAT is also classified as fidgeting. So, you know, if I'm moving my arms, I'm swinging in my chair, that is NEAT. So that is expended energy. 
Now, what happens is, in particular, if someone is dieting, we do get a suppression of need. So obviously, we're trying to uh, kind of, sort of like reduce our output a little bit to help with the, the body being able to handle the deficit, whether it's being a bit aggressive or anything like that. So a long time ago, uh, steps was actually used as a way to make sure that we get that need going on. Now, there is some benefits in that when we look at it. So obviously, low levels of activity does have effects on something which is known as brain-derived nootropic factors, so obviously BDNF, which is important for brain health and cognition. And so when we look at that, it's important to make sure we have some degree of activity. And, you know, especially yourself right now, you know, you're, you're in a deficit, you're looking really lean right now, which is, you know, like fangirling right now on that, which is really <laughs> So you might notice some days you just don't want to move as much. You're like, uh, you're kind of like, it's instead of you being in like second and third gear of your car and kind of accelerating, just moving as much as you can, you might be kind of cruising in fourth or fifth and just kind of like just coasting. So having something as steps might be beneficial to kind of make sure you're still hitting kind of activity levels and making sure that your output is still being matched all the time, which is a good consistency for it. The other downside to that is we see a lot of people these days programming like an astronomical amount of steps. Like, you know, I say to most people around 10, 12,000 is pretty easy to do. If you're having to do something like uh, 18, 20,000 steps and that's getting programmed to me and you have to go on a treadmill to hit those numbers, I would just rather you do cardiovascular training. You know, I don't feel like, you know, if you have to drive your car to go to the gym, to walk <laughs> on a stationary platform to get your steps up, you're probably not, there's probably a bit too high of a number, you know? So yeah. what I normally say to a lot of my clients when, you know, we're trying to do body composition work or anything like that, so I'll get them to record like a weekly average. So I'll get them to just move like they would normally. And then I'll go, okay, what's your average over that week? Might be 8,000, might be 9,000. And I go, cool. Your goal is to just hit that. Do you know, if you exceed it, great. But you can't go below that number. And then from there, what we can do is we can then, once we kind of create a deficit, we can go, okay, like say we built the calories up to a really good point everything's moving great. And then we go, okay, we're about to commence the deficit now, so we're going to bring calories down. Let, before we do that though, let's do another week, just seeing what your step count is like, because it might be a little bit higher now because obviously we've increased food intake. So they're going to have more energy to do things and they're going to start kind of doing some unstructured movements and steps and stuff like that. And then we go, okay, this is the new number. Now we've got to that number, let's not go below that. Yeah, yeah, killer. And in terms of like a minimum because i'm pretty sure it was you who first coined a number that i seen on instagram and i was like oh i've never actually heard someone yeah, say um, a minimum number so i actually again i i will give credit where credit's due uh, it was actually luke again you actually um coined the number it was like i think he said it was like 7116 or something like that it was something yeah. really like like something like that and he might be able to message me and correct me on this and i'll happily say no it's a different number but he said that was the number that was kind of needed for hypothalamic regulation which obviously the hypothalamus is the kind of main governing organ for pretty much everything so he said about 7200 as kind of a roundup number would be a good number to kind of hit every day mm -hmm. um obviously then most people can hit 8,000. you know like i have a pretty cruisy job um, I just walk around the gym occasionally and train people. Most of the time, I'm on laptops. So for me, I kind of say 8,000 is my minimum. I don't like it when it goes below that. You know, in some yeah. cases, I've been pretty lazy and I'll, I'll happily admit I'll get like four or 5,000 in on some days. So then I might go outside and go for kind of like a walk on at night time, which is kind of a good routine as a wind down, which will help again with my sleep. So that's a kind of two for one right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, like you said, like, there's a lot of people pumping out big steps and their whole reason for it is they say, Oh, I don't give my clients cardio, but in reality, if they're giving them 15, 20,000 steps to do, it's making them do cardio, whether it is outside or whether it is on a treadmill, if you actually have to think, Oh fuck, I've got 8,000 steps still to do, or my coach is going to be pissed off. Then they've got to actually go out and like do cardio to think about it. So it's not really, like you said, it's probably too high. And if you hear yeah. these gurus talking about how I don't give my clients cardio, just steps, it's probably still going to be where you're fucking doing cardio or you might feel so guilty that you'll 
you know, buy a treadmill or drive to the gym just to get your steps in. Yeah, which kind of sounds, you know, oxymoronic when you think about it. You know, I'd rather just program cardio in for a client because we're going to get a lot more benefits in doing so as well. You yeah. know, you're going to get, you know, uh, depending on the heart rate and the intensity that you use, you might get some fat oxidation, you might get some glucose oxidation as well. It's going to improve your heart health. You know, it's got a ton of other benefits than just fat loss. So why not just make someone do that then? You know, if you're going, okay, uh, say the client's on nine to thousand steps a day, and you go, okay, now instead of increasing your steps, let's just add 20 minutes of cardio. You know, yeah. something as small as that might be what they needed to kind of kick it off a little bit. Rather than, going, okay, now your step count's going to be 15,000. And they're like, okay, well, I have to walk on the It's like, why don't you just crank up the intensity a little bit and go for a run or go on a spin bike, you know, something like that, where you can now get some actual benefits from it rather than just increasing that. Yeah, yeah, that's fair, man. That's fair. And I think that gives us a pretty good look into neat. So let's talk into something else which links in nicely because when you're when you're looking at blood pressure, a lot of the times ways to bring it down, like cardio will be implemented um, to improve cardiovascular function. Um, so let's talk about why we track blood pressure and why it's so important because it really is, it's a silent killer, right? Oh, well, when you think about it, like, you know, heart, heart disease in some shape or form, whether it's a heart attack, a stroke, um, you know, or just some sort of chronic disease from, you know, your heart, is probably one of the biggest killers we have today, you know, like up there with obviously like cancer and stuff like that. And then I think that diabetes is on the rise as well as like a chronic uh, health condition. But it's it's so important, man, you know, like blood pressure, like I say to most people, if you're not taking your blood pressure as a coach, you're not doing your job properly. It's super easy to do. You don't have to be a genius. Most of them are electronic now. Like yep. when I started in the industry, it was like old school, you know, like a stethoscope and like oh, really? you know, the, the prop. Yeah. Yeah. Like the proper one. I still got it. Like um, I still have mine at home. I still use the electric ones and stuff like that. But if you've got someone who's got say, and now most people will have uh, high blood pressure. So if it's, you know, a high uh, systolic or a high diastolic, then that might be an issue. And then that will also help you with your exercise selection. You know, if I've got someone who's got really high blood pressure, I'm probably not going to load them up on the leg press where they're now going to be in a position that's going to elevate the blood pressure even more because the last thing I want is my client to have a stroke on the leg press. Yeah. So just something as simple as that will help govern what exercises we do, whether we do cardio at the start to improve that. So then when we do go into training, not only are they going to get improved recovery, but now we can start loading up uh, exercises that increase intraoperable pressure. And then therefore we're going to still make better progress. Yeah, yeah, 100%, mate. And in terms of if their blood pressure are, is high coming in, like what, what's the strategies you would implement? Like you said, you don't want to load them on a leg press, but what, what would their first four weeks look like versus somebody who has a normal blood pressure? So I would prioritize or front load a lot of cardio. Uh, and I know it's kind of like bad. It's like, oh, cardio is the, the demon these days. I'm too skinny and it makes you fat. I'm like, well, okay, but, you know, if, uh, I, the last time I checked, a client uh, never came to me and go, what's your goals? I was like, you know what? I'd really like to have a heart attack. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what I want, you know? So when you look at that, I'll put a lot of cardio in because if we're going to get some conditioning effects. Again, we might get some reduced fat loss. We can help with obviously blood sugar control, everything like that. So I will probably prescribe anywhere from like 30 to 40 minutes of cardio for the first kind of like on a daily routine. And then we might do some resistance training in the background. And then obviously once their blood pressure is normalized, they're going to have a better heart rate, better sugar control, might even get some better sleep quality as well. Then we can go, okay, now let's now reduce the cardio intensity or duration, pull it down a little bit. Now we can start increasing resistance training. And that's when we're going to start seeing kind of, you know, better muscle tone, you know, more improvements in strength. And I know that they're not going to have an issue to the track. But it's something that we still need to kind of monitor and regulate because if they start seeing that starting to creep up a little bit, then we might put in a few uh, days a week of just some global conditioning. So it's just nice and easy, like 20 minutes after training, just kind of like cruising, whether it's on a spin bike or a treadmill or something like that, or a cross trainer, and just allowing them to kind of get that back down into a good health position. 
Yeah, yeah. And in terms of, it's quite inexpensive now to buy a blood pressure monitor, but what's your recommendations with clients whenever you ask them to track blood pressure? So normally I say if they, if they have a blood pressure at home, um, you know, a few times a week, so maybe twice a week would be a good kind of start point. If they don't have one, then I go, look, the gym should have one that they train at. Gyms should have it as part of their kind of health questionnaires when the person signs up. If yeah. they don't, which I've seen a few gyms don't have it, so I was a little bit like, okay, just go to a chemist or a pharmacy. They do yeah. it for free. You know, you might be that widow who goes in once a week to go get your blood pressure done, but it will pay dividends in the long run. You know, you want it to be in a good kind of range because it will have implications down the track. Yeah, hundred percent. And the thing is that whenever you go for your groceries, no matter where it is, there's a pharmacy that's going to be pretty much attached to it. Right. And if it, you yeah. just stack on that habit where every time you go for your food shop, you're going to call into that because you don't want to spend a hundred bucks or whatever it is on a blood pressure monitor, then just call into the pharmacy and get it done. It'll take five minutes. And at least then you know that you're in a good range and you can give your coach that feedback then. Yeah. Um, some considerations obviously be wary of with that is obviously just making sure that the person is a little bit rested beforehand. So yeah. obviously don't like run to the to the pharmacy and then get it done because it is going to increase. And there's also is a consideration which is known as white coat fever, which is where people yeah. kind of have a little bit of anxiety when they are getting it done. So even what you can do is just have the cuff on and just wait like a minute or two, just kind of like relax, he breathes and stuff like that, then get the test done. And that's going to help a lot more when kind of getting really a lot more accurate kind of reading on that pressure. Yeah. And I always said, take the average of the three, three readings. And it might not change that much, but normally if you do have that like white coat fever and, or it's just because the cough tightens up, right. And you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. I forgot what this feels like. Like I'll, I think take three and then just average it. Yeah. You just got to make sure if you are doing more than once, just that kind of a little bit of rest because there is obviously when you are getting the pressure around that arm, it will have some constriction of blood vessels, which is obviously what you're measuring. So maybe having like a little bit of rest, like two to three minutes rest between each one will give you kind of better indication for that. But most of the time, if the person is a little bit relaxed, like white coat fever or kind of that, oh, wow, like shit, that's, that's compressing me now it will be a little bit higher. We're not going to see astronomical bumps. So if someone's sitting at like, I don't know, 150 over 90, then we might go, okay, hey, that's not like a fever. You know, like if we've got yeah. 10 points off that, yeah, it's still like 140 over 85. That's not ideal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something that I never thought about is actually giving that time for the, the blood vessels to relax after. So there we go. We learn something new every day. Killer. <laughs> Um, so that covers blood pressure, mate. Now let's get into the really geeky stuff. So um, let's talk heart rate variability. Like, yeah. what is it, and why would we track it? And sort of, who is it applicable to? Like, would you? Is it something you would have all clients do, or do you give your clients the option of tracking this stuff as well? Now, because this is the geekier stuff that isn't really, it's going to impact health, but it's not really necessary to make sure somebody's healthy, right? Yeah, it's, it does have some implications. So um, uh, heart rate variability, or when we do it, which would be known as heartbeat variability. So there's a difference between the two. So the only time you can actually get an HIV is if you go to an actual kind of like a hospital and they put like the EKG on you. So what that indicates is it's the gap between the P, uh, the R to R intervals. So what happens is if you look at kind of like the monitors and it kind of has a pump up, it's like beep, like that. It's the spike. So what you're measuring is the milliseconds between heartbeats. So what a lot of people think is they think that your heartbeat kind of like on rhythm, where it doesn't. Sometimes it'll beat and then it'll kind of go a little bit quicker. And that's the variability between the heartbeats. Now, this has a really good implication for um, the autonomic nervous system. So in terms of uh, whether you're in a fight or flight situation or rest and digest. Now, a lot of people go, uh, you fire flight's good, and it's only good in certain situations, such as training. But I don't want to be chronically stressed all the time when I'm not training, you know? Yeah. So that's going to have massive health implications, you know, digestion, uh, sleep, even things such as sex drive, which is uh, quite common. So when we look at that, we want to be in a lot more kind of relaxed situation, about 96% of your day, you know? And then when you are training, which is like 4%, which is an hour, then you want to be in that fight or flight and ready to kind of like just smash whatever's in front of you. you know? So 
um, heartbeat variability will measure the, the ITAR interval. Now, for most clients, I, I give them the option. So um, whether they use um, like Aura, uh, Whoop, uh, or like Elite HRV, so they have the polar chest straps and they can do that. Or there's a really, really great app, which is HRV for training, which just uses your camera lens. And it's actually really accurate and it gives you kind of like a radius. Now, I would use, I give the option to everyone. I say it's really, really good to do, and I recommend a lot of people do do it because it gives you an idea of recovery and stuff like that. So when we look at recovery, we need to go, what is, um, are you able to handle your training or are we going to be having, uh, like, you not recovering that well? And if so, do we need to deload you? Do we need to change your training stimulus? Do we need to increase food intake? Is there something going on that we don't know about? So that's where I see, um, you know, it's important to have that. But it's not, if someone's not going to opt into it, I'm not overly kind of stressing it. But I do expect some of my, my athletes and people that I am doing, say, a constitution prep with to be monitoring that because it will have a massive effect on how they look at the end of the day. So, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I think as well, though, like we need to take these measurements with a pinch of salt, especially when you are going for something extreme. Like right now, mate, like my sleep's not the best. I got the aura ring last week or the week before and like since then my fitbit made me think i slept well but now this is telling me my sleep shit pretty much um <laughs> my readiness score is just in the toilet but the thing is i've got five weeks to push on this and we're pushing the body to get really really fucking lean so while i'll look at it like normally i'll train in the morning so i'll not look at my readiness until the the lunchtime so after yeah. i train so i'm like oh so how ready was i to train today after i've trained because i know that you know, if yeah. I wake up feeling good, I'm not going to look at that score and be like, oh, actually, it's suggesting I'm, I'm maybe slow down a little bit because I'm feeling good before it, right? But maybe if I feel my energy's in the toilet, I'll be like, fuck, I wonder what this, this score's saying. And then I can look into that a little bit. And then the, the other thing as well to be really, really considerate with this as well is we're looking at trends at the end of the day. It's not a single spike. If someone has a single spike, I'll still allow them to train like normal, you know, like yeah. because it might have just been something that, might have affected it slightly. So a uh, real funny example for me is alcohol does that to me. Right. So if I have like a glass of wine, it does affect my recovery into the next day. I'm not going to go, oh, damn, I can't deadlift today because I had a glass of wine with dinner <laughs> last night. You know, so yeah. when, when you kind of look at that, you know, it's just one spike anomaly. But if it's consistent trend going down, then we might go, hmm, okay, this is something that we need to be kind of considerate about maybe we just back it off a little bit into your training. So instead of kind of like, you know, pushing to an RR of zero, we might go to an RR of two, for example, or maybe just do a little bit of a less set, or maybe decrease the weight that you're using and go for more repetitions to kind of work more on the, the lactate accumulation side of things to improve your recovery capacity rather than pushing heavy all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's fair, that's fair. So yeah, you can see why tracking something like this is going to be beneficial, especially if you're looking at extra 1%, right? It's not for everyone, just yeah. somebody who wants to lose a little bit of weight, but if you're trying to get the maximum of your performance, like a lot of athletes, whether it's physique, strength-based, sports-based, like this sort of stuff is is huge. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, So really, really good example of this would actually be um, someone who was on your podcast, um, Brendo. So yeah. Brendo's just got, um, got a whoop. And it actually showed that his strain was a little bit lower. So it means that he wasn't going to be able to train as well as what he would be normally. So he made a kind of a little active recovery day. He went to got a massage, had a, a nap. And the next day it was like up dramatically. So his ability to train was so much more better. If he listened, didn't listen to it, he might have kind of pulled it down a little bit more. And then he would start noticing like performance decrements, which is not ideal based on what his goals would be. So yeah. when looking at that, it just allows you to kind of go, okay, this is something to be wary of, something to take into consideration. Is it for everyone? No. Um, some people just don't want to do that and that's okay. I would then use something as like working heart rate, which would be a really, really good, easy and kind of non-invasive indication. And it takes like 15 to 30 seconds to, to assess that in the morning, you know? So yeah. something like that might be a lot more beneficial to pretty much everyone rather than going, okay, What's my heartbeat variability doing? Um, and again, the range should be um, like 70 to 80 milliseconds um, between. And then yep. if it's higher than that, great. 
awesome. I know some people is like they get like 130 on the aura, and I'm like, I hate you guys so much, which is amazing. But if you're in, say, such yourself, you've got five weeks to push it, you know, you might see that starting to come down a little bit again. That might be as an indication, obviously, might be a little bit more affected than what you might be, you know, being in a calorie deficit might also affect that because we know that is a stress on the body, you know, eating less is stressful. So all these things might have an implication, but understanding where it is right now and what we're trying to do will give you a better kind of uh, indication or uh, just information more than anything of, okay, normally it's sitting around 50. It's not there right now. It's like 25. Okay. Do I think I can push myself that hard today? Probably not, but it's just a spike drop. Okay. Let's train like I would and then assess it tomorrow. Okay. It's still down low. Okay. I might a little bit lighter today but i'm still going to go train yeah yeah 100 mate 100 and um, one thing you mentioned there which leads in nicely to the next one is rest and heart rate or waking heart rate as you said yeah um so why is that important and why is it easier to track and why should it be something that we potentially look at with clients so uh i always do a waking heart rate i prefer waking upon resting um just because yeah. it minimizes kind of what we've done throughout the day so if someone, uh, pretty much first thing in the morning, we should, we don't have a lot of stress going on. You know, if we've nailed our sleep, we're not rushing to get to work because we missed five alarms and we're going like, you know, shit, 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 We can then go, all right, we should have a pretty decent heart rate, especially if we are training and we are looking after ourselves, you know? So a lot of clients, I kind of say the heart rate should be around like, you know, 45 to 55 beats per minute. So that's kind of my range. If you're, you know, training more cardiovascular, so, you know, you're an endurance athlete, then it might be a lot lower because obviously, you know, you're going to get those cardiovascular benefits for the lower uh, wake and rest and heart rate. And, but we should always aim to have it just 55 or below. That's always kind of the standard that I will have. If not, then that might give us an indication that something else is going on. So when we look at what's the reasons for that, so, um, Obviously, this is a bit more nerdier now. So the adrenal glands, which obviously sit above the kidneys, release things such as cortisol and epinephrine and norepinephrine, or adrenaline and noradrenaline. So these have a massive influence on heart rate. You know, you give someone a shot of adrenaline, what's going to happen to the heart? It's like um, that movie Crank with Jason Statham. Yeah, yeah. Keeps going, you know? So if I'm awake first thing in the morning and my heart rate is up 10 beats, okay, I haven't really done anything that stressful yet. You know, I might have just woke up, might have went to, you know, the toilet, but I haven't really done anything that's going to put my body in a massive firefly state. So yeah. if my heart rate's super elevated, then that might be an indication of uh, poor recovery. So then we might go, okay, just be aware of it. Again, it's trends we're looking for. If it's continually going down that rate, then we're going, okay, now it's time to pull it back a little bit. And that's when we might do a deload phase or something like that. Yeah, cool, cool. And final one then, buddy, would be blood glucose. So why would we track blood glucose? Why is it important and how does that interact with everything else that we're sort of yeah, looking into? Yeah, um, so fasting blood glucose levels is um, something I don't uh, normally do a lot of with people. Um, it's obviously, it's invasive. So you have to stab yourself in the finger and basically get, get your, your blood onto a stick to then breathe it. So it does have a lot of a buy-in. So I rarely get clients to do this. One, because um, it's expensive to have the trips. And also, it's you have to do it pretty much in the mornings, obviously, when you are hydrated. And that's another big thing. You know? like you've got to have a decent amount of fluid in your system because otherwise, if you've went, say, eight hours without any water, you're going to have a slight dehydrating effect, which will Im impair the, the fast and blood glucose levels. So we'll see that it's a lot higher. So normally the range that we want is around 4.2 to 5.5 millimoles per liter. So that's just kind of the range when you look at that. And what this does is if you think um, glucose is the, the immediate energy in the body, okay? So it's the one that we use most of the time in our resistance training and not a lot at rest, you know, um, when we're looking like kind of percentage of uh, output, anything below kind of that 50% of max effort work you're going to be oxidizing more free fatty acids and like triglycerides or fat. So if I'm awake first thing in the morning, I've had more water and my fasting blood glucose level is something like you know, six or seven, then that might be an indication, okay, 
I'm not, I'm not metabolizing glucose effectively. I'm not getting glucose to go into muscle cells appropriately. And that might be an issue in that situation. The same situation can also occur if it's too low. So that's obviously hypoglycemia, which is an issue where, you know, you might get a little bit headed, lethargic, stuff like that, because we don't have enough of that in. So maybe then having some glucose around training or in the morning will kind of bring that up a little bit, as long as it's not um, like a reactive hypoglycemia, you know? Yep, yep. So yeah. in terms of everything that we track, that would be one of the last things you would... That is, that is literally the, you know, if someone wants to do it, great. Like, obviously, I work with diabetics, so we have to track that. Yeah, but if yeah. it was like someone for a bodybuilding show or something like that, I wouldn't really use it as much because it's, for me personally, it's way too much of a buy-in. If I'm getting them to do all the other kind of tracking before, I can pretty much extrapolate that to I think you've got good glucose management. If you don't, they'll, they'll start to tell you, you know, oh, I'm, I'm feeling uh, soft and fluidy. Uh, I'm not really getting any good kind of pumps when I'm training, you know, like I just... I just feel legitimately like shit. And then we might go, okay, this, this might be an indication. Let's get your heart rate. What's your working heart rate? Oh, it's 80. Okay, well, that's not good. You know, uh, we want to bring that down. Let's pull your training down a little bit. Let's improve your cardiovascular fitness. Let's get you doing um, some yoga sessions. Let's get you getting a massage. Just chilling out. It's kind of a hobby for you to do something like that. And then we're going to see that that heart rate will start dropping down and it might get back to kind of like the 54 beats per minute that we want. Okay, how does you look now? Yeah, I look like a group bot. Okay, cool. Well, we could probably say you're managing glucose more effectively now. Let's get back to training as it was before, but just be wary of these numbers now. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And I think that that's a good little sum up as well, mate, because it shows that it does have its place, but maybe not for everyone. Like a lot of this stuff, like I said, I don't actually track with clients. It's mainly steps, digestion, um, sleep, and then occasionally blood pressure as long as they, they don't see it as too much of a hassle to either buy something or go to the pharmacy right um yeah. but all these extra things that we've thrown in in terms of hrv and um, blood glucose rest and heart rate that's all stuff that will be added in for clients in terms of if they want to do it and have it there so let's yeah. finish off mate with is there anything else that you would track and why would you do so that, that would probably be kind of like the biggest things that I would track with clients in terms of uh, functional biometrics. I wouldn't go anything too kind of excessive from that. I feel that covers the, the wide spectrum of health and also allows me to go, okay, is the training program that I'm creating and the nutrition program I've created going to get me the results I'm after? You know, I don't want to hassle too many people with the, the data because then we can issue a paralysis by analysis and they start getting anxiety around that. So it's kind of, what I normally say to a lot of people is uh, minerals are kind of one, steps, so exactly same as you, steps, digestion, sleep, and waking heart rate. If they can get the blood pressure and heart rate variability, awesome. If they can't, I'm not gonna be too kind of considered by that, you know? I can get a lot of data from those and it will show basically how they're progressing. And if I need to change anything, I'll make any kind of considerations from that. Yeah, for me, and it's it's always good because like I see you as like one of the kings around here in terms of going the extra mile with this. Like, so to see that we're on the same wavelength is is a good sign. So yeah, I, I like this. It's it's reinforced that what I'm doing is right, and also we've got loads of nuggets in here in terms of that's uh, I think six different categories we covered on what people can do to get the extra one percent or what they need to be doing daily in terms of the big three or four that they really should be um, doing every day. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for, for that as well. I really appreciate those kind of words. And that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, hundred percent. Just keep doing what you're doing because um, you, your reputation around Perth is, is pretty stellar and it's grown and grown. And I know there's big things in the future for you as well, buddy. So yeah, yeah. can't wait to see them and um, yeah, keep, keep pumping on. No, thanks bro. I appreciate it. It's been really good, guys. So if you don't already follow Dan, you will find him um, in my followers list. Just type to people who I follow and type Dan in and you'll find him. If not, Dan, what is it? Dan underscore Team Ecto or yeah, is it all one? It's, um, yeah, it's Dan underscore Team Ecto. Um, so yep. that's my Instagram. And that's probably 
these days the best way to get in contact with me unless we're Facebook friends, but that's a very hard hit sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. And um, guys, if you did enjoy this, just take a screenshot, tag Dan, tag me so that we know this type of stuff goes down well. Um, I do encourage that on every podcast because one, it gets a message out there. Maybe one of your friends needs this sort of information and you've provided them with the vehicle to learn this through posting it. But also it just shows us that you like the content, you've enjoyed this and you want similar stuff like this along the way. And like I said, Dan, maybe we'll do a deeper one on some of these. Did we say it was going to be sleep? Yeah, sleep yeah, or night shifts. Yeah, night shifts. So night shifts yep. and sleeps. Yeah, that'll be that'll be really, really good one to go down. Yeah, we'll maybe give the audience a, a, a month or so break and then we'll come back on with a big in-depth one on... Because that's one thing that um, clients always ask me about or if they say on their forms, like, oh, I've worked night shifts. I'm like, right, go look at somebody like Dr. Dean or somebody yeah. who actually works a night shift to understand it. But if we can put it out on a podcast, it's just easy and then I can refer to people like... I'll go and listen to this and vice versa for you rather than you have to repeat yourself. You can go, Oh, listen to this interview I did yeah. with Owen on his podcast. Right. Yeah, that's it for sure. You know, like it, it's just rather than me doing a 20 minute video on it. Now I can just go, here's the podcast. Yeah. Please, please listen, please watch. And then it will give you a little more information on that for sure. Yeah. Maybe we'll hook that up and we'll get that booked in then for mid September to record that one, buddy. Yeah. Awesome, bro. That'll be killer, mate. Thanks for coming on. Guys, if you enjoyed this, like I said, please tag us and I will see you on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to The O Show with your host, Oren McCory. If you liked this episode, then please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and share this on your social media. We'll see you on the next episode for more no-nonsense advice to help you supercharge your efforts in the gym, in the kitchen, and most importantly, in your head. See you then.